0: Visit openbiblenj.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now enjoy the service.
1: Thank you, team. Join me this morning, if you would, in the book of James and uh, the first chapter. It's a little bit more comfortable now for you. You feeling better? Yeah, you look better. (laughs) Amen. James chapter one, If you can find your way there, I appreciate it. We are going to take a look this morning at verses 9 through 11. We've been, again, studying down through the book of uh, James and haven't gotten real far, uh, but we've only been at this for a few weeks, right? And uh, discovering some really interesting things, real practical, real practical truth, right, in the book of James. And in verse 9, 10, and 11, what you find there is just kind of, I think James is speaking a little bit to, to our identity, our true identity in Christ. And I'm trusting that the sound guys are going to stay with me today and the technicians up there. Uh, I'm supposed to give them certain cues. I just gave them one. And uh, there you go. Amen. <laughs> so it's all good, right? It's a work in progress. But uh, what you find, you know, did you ever notice how God's Word is filled with things like metaphors yes. and paradoxes? You know what a paradox is? How many say, Preacher, I know exactly what a paradox is? Great. Three of us do. Yeah, I know you know it. Uh, just not familiar with the Word, right? Let, let, me, let me share with you what a paradox is. Guys, help me with that. L- look, look at the screen. A paradox is a statement that is seemingly contradictory and uh, or opposed to common sense, and yet it might be true, right? Look at that, look at that again. And so uh, you, you run into paradoxes all the time, right? Contradictory statements that may bear some truth. You know, the scriptures are filled with paradoxes. Leave that up for a little bit, guys. It's just so they can, maybe if they want to snapshot that or write that down. Uh, think about it. Let me share a couple with you. Paul said this, and I won't paraphrase, okay? Paul said this, uh, when I am weak, then I'm strong. Correct. Sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? Uh, when I'm weak, I'm strong. He uh, Jesus said this. Jesus said, He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for for, for my sake and the gospel shall find it. I want you to say, on counting three, I want you to say, say what? One, two, three. Say what? <laughs> say what? Sounds a little bit contradictory, doesn't it? Huh? Uh, Paul said this: He said, We own nothing, and yet we have everything. <laughs> Sounds like some of us, right? <laughs> you know? Jesus said, uh, the last will be first and the first last." By the way, you can record. These are all recorded and more. And so, these would be labeled as paradoxes. And, and all those statements kind of catch our, uh, they, they, catch, they capture our attention, don't they? Right? Because they're contradictory or they appear to be contradictory. You say, why are you spending so much time on this? Because James gives us two paradoxes in these couple of verses. And we're going to take a look at them uh, this morning. Uh, these statements that I've just made uh, sound, con- you know, contradicting until you begin to really think about them a little deeper, Right? I mean, when you start to take them apart, now some of us have been saved for a while, those statements that I've made, those apparent paradoxes, those apparent contradictions, when you think about them, there really is truth there, you know, and they're really not that contradicting. They're just, they're just hiding. Now pay attention right here. They're, it's, they're, th- those statements are hiding truth because the Lord wants us to dig in a little deeper. Isn't that right? Uh, and that's why uh, pa- a paradox is a powerful tool, because it makes people think. Hmm. And, and the Lord always, you know, when he was teaching, he was a master teacher. And in the New Testament, when he's teaching, a lot of the things he's teaching cause us to really sit back and ponder, because on the surface, we, we might even say, like, huh? What was that? Say that again? Because on the surface, it seems to be contradictory, or it just seems not to make sense. Sometimes it's, it's metaphoric. And he's, he just wants us to slow down and think a little bit. Well, James, you know, was tutored by the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, they all were. And James served as, as a pastor for a long period of time. You know, he pastored the first church in Jerusalem. And so when he's writing these new testament believers he's trying to share with them some truth that they were going to have to now pay attention right here slow down and think about you know just slow down and think a little deeper than you maybe usually do and in verses 9 10 and 11 we're going to read them together you'll find two paradoxes let's read them together you ready verse number 9 Here's what James said, let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he's exalted. Now let's agree on something right here. When he's speaking about the brother of low degree, he's speaking about those who are poor. Poor. Okay? So we can say this, we can say this what James is saying is uh, let let the brethren who are poor rejoice. Let the brethren who are poor rejoice in that he is exalted. And then he goes in verse 10, there's a second paradox. He says, but but the rich, in that he's made low. Hmm, right? Did you you see that? Huh? In that he's made low, because as the flower of the grass, he he shall pass away. And so he deals with the poor, and James tells the poor this. Now pay attention to this. James tells the poor that they ought to rejoice because the Lord has honored them. And then he says this to the rich, you ought to rejoice because the Lord has humbled you. To the poor, you ought to rejoice because the Lord has honored you, recognized you. He uses the word exalts you. And then to the rich, he says you ought to rejoice because the Lord has humbled you or considered you. Now hold on to that. We're going to come back to that uh, in, in just a moment. In essence, what he's doing here, again, seems to be contradictory, but remember the purpose of a paradox. The purpose of a paradox is to get you to think a little deeper, correct? James is speaking to individuals who were going through a real difficult time, right? I mean, these are the brethren who have been scattered abroad. He speaks to them a bit about trials and difficulties in verses 1 down through verse number 8. Having faith, trusting God, seeking God's counsel and wisdom for your difficult time. But now he kind of flips the page a bit, and he's giving them some real, some real uh, uh, provocative things to think about. And, and and in essence I think this I think in essence what he's reminding his readers of is this. Now, now don't miss this. Verses 9, 10, 11. He's reminding his readers that all people, people are of equal value. Amen. Did you get that? Yeah. All right, I'm going to say it again. I want to have you repeat it with me. All people are of equal value. Amen. Let's say it together. All people are of equal value, whether you have it or you don't. (laughs) Right? And many of us know what it means when it comes to don't. Right? Whether you're rich or poor, it matters not what your skin color is, whether it's white or black or uh, red or yellow. It matters not if you're young or old. It doesn't matter what your pedigree is, what your culture, it matters not who your grandmother was or your grandfather. Huh? In God's eyes, everyone has equal value. Amen. Equal bank accounts? Hmm. In, heaven. In, heaven. in heaven. Equal social status? Hmm. In but in God's eyes, we have equal value. And that's important because James is writing to individuals, to Jews who were scattered, being persecuted under some real deep affliction. And you see this come up over and over uh, in this text. To the poor, he says this, you should be glad that you're now a child of God. Right? So those who are suffering, they're impoverished. And he says to them, you ought to rejoice because now you are a child of God. To the rich, he says you ought to rejoice because God has accepted you not on the basis of what you have or what you've done, but on the basis of who you are. By the way, when God measures a man, he never places the tape around his head. He places it around his heart. And what matters to man is not what you've accomplished or what you've accumulated, but what you've become. Boy, there's good preaching right there. And so, that's what James is trying to, trying to hint to in this text. And as you follow down, let's read verse 11. He says, For the sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it per- uh, perisheth. And so also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. So, as you read verses 9, 10, and 11, James seems to point out, I'm going to point out three words. In fact, he's got a word for three different groups of people. And I want to point that out for us this morning. I want you to notice verse number nine. Go back again, guys, if you would. Verse number nine, and you'll see a word for the poor. Now, now remember this. This is a paradox, right? Now, now I want I want to be clear with this. James is not saying you ought to rejoice because you're poor. Aren't you glad he's not saying that? <laughs> I mean, there's times, we, we looked at, you know, uh, verse number two in the text. He said, count it all joy when you fall into, uh, you know, diverse temptations, different kind of trials. Mm-hmm. You're right. I mean, it's easy to say when you're not the person going through the trial. You know, it's easy to say to somebody who's poor, man, just, just go ahead and, and thank God you're alive. You know? Uh, but that's not what James is saying. This is a paradox, right? This statement is to get us to think a little bit uh, deeper and I, I, I know I told you this a big word in the teachings of James is the word perspective, right? Let, let's, let's rehearse, let's review perspective. What is perspective? It's seeing things through a different, you know, lens, from a different level. It's seeing the bigger picture. But for us in the Word of God, it's seeing things through God's eyes or seeing things mm, the way God would have us to see them. And so, what James is saying here is this to these poor individuals you ought to rejoice, not because you're poor, but in, you, you ought to rejoice because you've been accepted by God. And if you look at the bigger picture, God has raised you up, God has exalted you. Think about that for a second. He's writing to Jews who, uh, I mean to tell you, they just, these, these folks had a hard time. Now, remember this they have been dis- displaced. You know what it means to be displaced? If I was just preaching this message in southwest Florida this morning, those folks would understand exactly what I'm speaking about. Uh, Did you see the devastation on the... I can't help but believe when you read the book of Acts, chapter number 8, where God begins to send some persecution upon the church in Jerusalem, and these folks were scattered. They were displaced. And that means this. They woke up the next morning, not in their own bed. They woke up the next morning with, missing all the luxuries of their life, even if they were just minute luxuries. So they knew what it was to suffer. And they know knew what it was to go through some difficult times. However, James says this uh, to them, you have more than most because you have Jesus. Years ago, we first, in fact, we, we, we just had recently gotten saved. I don't know where it came from. Uh, but I remember one day going into the kitchen of our small apartment. we just got married, just got saved, uh, going into the kitchen of our small apartment. On the refrigerator was a, little, was a little card about that big. You put things on your refrigerator, you know? And, and there was a little card about that big, and it said something like this. You remember, Don. It said something like this, you can have everything without Jesus and have nothing or you can have nothing but Jesus and have everything. Did you ever hear that before? Uh, now, it probably that probably wasn't the way it was on that card, but that's the way I remembered it. And that was important to me because at that point in time in my life, Bob, I'll be honest with you, we did not qualify for poor. In fact, when we showed up to get relief, they said, you're too poor. You know, I'm, I'm teasing, you know. Uh, So James is saying this to these brethren scattered abroad who were of humble means, who had really nothing. What he's saying is this, you ought to rejoice in the fact that since you have Jesus, you have everything. Then he's got a word. He's got a word for the rich. And by the way, that's perspective, right? You've got to change your perspective. The word for the rich in verse number 10, he says this, uh, you ought to rejoice in the fact that, that you're made low. We would say this you ought, you ought to rejoice in the fact that god has humbled you or caused you to see life as it really is or caused you to see how much you really need him why because those who have means think they don't need anything Do you ever try to witness to a rich person not the easiest person to witness to not the easiest person to preach the gospel to why because tony they don't think they have a need you know, they think their money is going to cover everything. Stay tuned. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. And so, he says this to the, to the, James tells the rich people to rejoice in the fact that God has humbled them or brought them to a place where they can see their need for him. And that, that you know, that's just wonderful, isn't it? I, I'm not sure if you, you remember this or not, but he's writing, James is writing to the brethren. Look in verse number one. James, servant of God, uh, writing to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's writing to the 12 tribes, scattered around. He said, verse number 2, my brethren. And so, the poor and the rich in this text of Scripture are both saved. Did you get that? Huh? I know sometimes we get a real attitude toward rich people, but rich people can get saved. And here in this text, they're both saved, and he's writing to both of them because both of them, look here, whether poor or rich, they were going through the same dif- difficulties. The trials listed in verse 2, uh, the counsel of verse 3 and 4 was for the poor and the rich. Amen. Hello? So uh, just because you have money doesn't mean you're, Im- you're immune, you're, you're immune uh, you know, or, or you're, you're, you're protected from the difficulties of life. And he's saying to both of them, what you ought to do is just rejoice because you have Jesus, 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 Jesus. Sweetest name I know. Amen. <laughs> Amen? I like that. And one day he says to the rich, it's all going to pass away anyway, right? It's all going to just make itself wings and fly away. But then I want you to notice in verse number 11 because he's got a word for us. You knew you were coming in here someplace, right? This is not just about those back then. This is about us right now. And when you read the Bible, there's a message, of course, for those back then, but there's also a message for us living right now. And in verse number 11, I know I know, you say, Pastor, how do you draw upon that? He talks about the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat. That's, that's for everybody, rich or poor. Right? You've heard about before. The sun comes up upon the just and the unjust. Right? And so, this is for everybody here. For the sun uh, is no sooner risen with a burning heat, uh, but, but you know what it does? It withers the grass and the flower falls. And, and, you know, and that's just the way the end of it's going to be, rich or poor. And so, I think what he's saying is this. He's saying God's Word is for all generations. God's Word transcends time. God's Word is for the young and the old. It's for the rich and the poor. It's for those from the north and those from the south and the east and the west and, hello, it's for every culture. I was talking to a preacher yesterday who was talking to uh, another person who happened to be looking for a pastor. And the fellow said, my preacher friend said, well, what are you looking for? And here's what the, here's what the response came back. We're looking for somebody who can relate to young people. Really? Really? So what are you looking for, a 15-year-older? You looking for a teenager? You look for somebody who's a hipster? You looking for somebody Cool. What are you looking for? I thought when you're looking for a pastor, you're looking for somebody who knows the Word of God, walks with God, preaches the Word of God. And when you preach the Word of God, it's good for young and old and everybody in between. Same hand right there, church. Amen. See, we have been, we have been mm, affected by our society. And we begin to think that, man, I'll tell you what, unless you water it down, the younger generations will never get it. Unless you, you know, uh, do a little uh, song and dance and spit out wooden nickels, people won't pay attention. That just is not true. Young people aren't looking for that garbage. They just want something that's real, and they want somebody who's going to preach it who believes it. It's all relevant. (laughs) Amen. And so James is speaking now to us, and he's trying to say, hey, listen, the message bears relevance. It's good for every generation. It's good for all of us. But when you look at the topic, he's talking about rich and poor, and so you got you to you, you filter money into that, right? And let me just say something about that. Many would ha- have us to believe that money is evil, but it's not. It's not, trust me. Just because you don't have it doesn't mean it's not evil. <laughs> you know? No, Bible never says that. Bible never says money is evil. No, in fact, Jesus often said, you know, make ye friends of the unrighteous mammon. You need money. I mean, we need, how will we pay? How will we have ministry without money? How do we keep the lights on? Hey, i t- tell you right now, uh, Brother Steve Beppel, when you go this month to pay the electric bill, just send him a note and tell him that we're a church. <laughs> and we know God. <laughs> Give him a gospel track instead of a check. <laughs> See how far that goes. No, we right? So look here, having money is not the issue. It's how we value money. Now, pay attention here. It's how we value money. I said this a lot of years ago, and every once in a while, one of my preacher boys that's trained under me will say, I heard Pastor Yanizzi, I was just listening to somebody, Donna, I forget who it was, one of my preacher boys who was preaching, and I said, my my pastor used to say, you know, there's nothing wrong with having money, but it's when money has you. Or it's how you value money, you know? I think that, that makes the difference. Right, and why is it? Well, see, money money has great potential, <laughs> right? And I, I know some folk who have a lot of it, and they use it for the glory of God. They don't squander it, huh? Just because, look here, you know, hey, uh, old brother, so and so has got some money, and so somebody runs over and says, "Hey, brother, so and so, would you help me to pay my car payment?" Nope. <laughs> no, brother, so and so is not a fool. But when a need arises, oh, brother so-and-so is the first person there that says, what can I do to help meet that need? Right? So great, potential. money's got great potential. It can be a great blessing or it can be a burden. Well, it depends on how you view it, how you look at it. Right? For example, let me make this practical. Got a few minutes left. Money can be tempting, and it might tempt us to believe. And here's some popular beliefs. Some, some believe that having money will eliminate certain worries of life. Some people believe that. Uh, some people believe that money can cure all their problems. If I just had more money. Huh? Uh, some people believe that money uh, will make them more appealing, more acceptable, more liked by others. And I've heard this a lot around church, especially Baptist churches. Some believe that if they had more money, they'd be able to give more. Huh? You know how many years I've heard that as a pastor? Oh, preacher, I'll tell you what. If I hit that big one, I'm telling you what. You know what I, my response to them, Steve, was? Steve's our bookkeeper. My, my response to them is this. Why don't you just tithe off of the little bit of money you have rather than waiting for your ship to come in? Because if your ship comes in, it's probably going to run you over. You know, you're going miss it. So let's look at the reality of those statements. You want to look at the reality of the statements? Pay attention right here. Money is powerless to eliminate your worries. It is. Look here. People who have money, people who have wealth have problems, right? Just because you have money doesn't mean you're going to have a perfect marriage or perfect children or perfect relationships, no, that's not, that's just not, that's just not the way it is. Uh, look here, just because you have money doesn't mean you're not going to get old. Huh? Yesterday I was, I was thumbing through uh, my Twitter account looking for pictures of Southwest Florida, you know, and seeing what what was going on, and, and all of a sudden I, I you know, I just You know know what this is, right? You know what that is, right? I'm on my iPad, and I'm just scrolling, you know. And all of a sudden, bang, I see a picture of three old celebrities. And I knew who they were. And, man, they look terrible. I mean, they look bad. And the caption was like, see how these celebrities have aged. And I'll be honest with you, I couldn't get away from it. It just sucked me right in. And so I I stopped doing this and I just did that. You know what that is? (laughs) It popped up. And then about 50 pictures came up of some people that I grew up watching on TV or listening to, you know. And I thought, man, I'll tell you what, life was not favorable to them. And you can tell the ones who tried to use their money to stay young because everything was like this, you know? I mean, they had it so tight, it was, their front of their face was in the back of their head. I mean, they couldn't get it back any further. Amen. <laughs> hey, hey, listen, man, I'm not, I'm not against staying, stay young. You do what you got to do. If your barn needs painting, paint it, you know? But just be aware of the fact that money isn't going to keep you young. huh? No, not at all. Uh, uh, Here's another myth. Uh, Having money will not keep you uh, from, for example, you, you can have money and still get cancer. Right? Have diabetes or... Having money will not protect you from... The dangers of life like hurricanes look there's a lot of people with a lot of money on fort myers fort myers beach do you ever ever see some of them homes i'll tell you listen you you got to you got to be a millionaire just to to buy in i'm not talking about the retirement places i'm talking about the places on the beach with the boats in the backyard you know huh their money didn't protect them they they couldn't call the governor and say hey i'm at one 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 two you know oceanfront way and you know if you i'll give you an extra million dollars for your campaign keep this storm from my house <laughs> yeah be nice but their house got washed away like everybody else's house hurricanes are no respecters of persons neither is cancer huh are you with me look here uh, people may like you a little bit more but it's only because you got money and they're really only trying to get something from you. So it's really not you they like, it's your bank account. Right? And let me just say this if you don't give now, you won't give more then. <laughs> because giving isn't based upon what you have, giving's a hard attitude. And we give out of obedience and we give out of love. It's not because I have a lot of money. Fact is, I guarantee you this, the people who are the largest givers in the kingdom of God are the people who have the least, not the most. There's probably more of them than there are others. And there are some great givers of people who have wealth. But most of the, most of the offering comes from just the everyday guys and women just like you and I. We just trust in God, obeying his word. And so, it's not about money. No, not at all. It's about our relationship with the Lord, Amen. And so, so let, let's let's make this let's make this practical. You ready? Where have you placed your confidence today? Where is your security at? Be honest with yourself. Where is your security? I tell you one thing. COVID did it shook us up a little bit, huh? And if you, if you have, if your security is in, you know, all the money you've put into your, you know, your 401k or your annuity or your, man, you've seen, you've seen over the last couple of years how that all changes, huh? Where's your confidence at? And not only that, but what are, what are we pursuing? What are you pursuing these days? For example, what gets your attention? What gets your attention? Let me say something about Open Bible Baptist Church that has impressed me and has blessed me over the last two weeks. We had our, 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 my first missions month here in September in our first missions conference. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't know what to expect. I mentioned that to the deacons and some of the leaders. I don't know what to expect. We needed last year, last year we needed, I think we needed like, oh, I don't know, $93,000, Steve, something like that, uh, in order to pay our missionaries. And I think... You know, we're, we're above that. Our year's not over yet, but we're above that in giving. You know, I think we're like $2,500 over what we should have, which is wonderful. Moving forward this year, we, we, Bob, Bob, we needed $98,000 to meet budget for this upcoming year. I'll be honest with you. Personally, I was praying for 105. dollars He said, I don't know you. Next year I'm praying for 500000 but I didn't know you this year. <laughs> so I was praying for 105. And I thought, if we can get 105, we got 98,000 committed. If we get 105, we got, we got some cushion there, right? That'd be wonderful. You know where we're up to? Almost 125. Isn't that awesome? Huh? Now, I don't look, I don't look at the tithe records. I don't look at the giving charts. I have no idea, but i guarantee you this. That all didn't come from two people. That was from you and I, each of us, saying, my heart is in the right place, What I'm attracted to is God's work. What I'm attracted to is what pleases Him. What I'm attracted to is what He loves. What are you attracted to? You know what I found out a long time ago? Look here. You can't outgive God, and when you invest, it's not really giving up anything. It's just investing it. When you invest in God's kingdom, He gives you back a hundredfold now in this lifetime, and if that's not enough, Brother Tony, eternal life to come. There's no investment on earth that gives you back a hundredfold. Even at our peak, you aren't getting back a hundredfold. What gets your attention? Where do you spend your energy? Notice I didn't say money. I said energy. What gets most of your energy? And I know some of us raising kids, that's where it goes. But we ought to have some of it. And by the way, raising kids is a godly thing too. We're going to have some of it for the Lord. What's your, what is your focus on? What is your focus on in life? Think about this. Maybe we need to, to set our focus on the destination. Amen. Huh? Think about that. Maybe we ought to set our, our focus on the destination. Uh, sometimes I think we need to start at the finish line and work our way back. Hey, hey, one day, one day, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. I know you're thinking he don't deserve to go, and you would be right. I know what you're thinking, he doesn't even look like he's gone, and you would be right. But I'm gone. I'm gone. And so since I know where I'm going to end up, maybe I ought to start here and work my way back to where I am today. Hello. See, I got in over here in 1979. And I don't know where we are in relation to when we're going to get out, but I do know this. One day, Ron, I'm going up. I'm going to heaven. That's my destination. Huh? I think I'm going to spend some, if the Lord tarries, I'm going to spend some time in Florida. Huh? You know, if the Lord tarries, I don't intend on doing this the rest of my life. I want to have at least a year off before I go up, you know. And so, but I'm going there, and so I want to make sure that everything I do now ensures the best arrival when I get there. Are you with me? I believe maybe that's what James is talking about. Don't be overwhelmed by what you lost. Be overwhelmed by what what you've been given. Be overwhelmed by where you're going to, you're going to, you know land up end up in the end where you're going to land in the end I think that's that's good counsel James in essence maybe what he's saying is this or maybe what I want to say is this you ought to go back to the place before you lost it somebody say amen right there Huh? my wife comes in says I can't find my keys you know what I am saying? Where were you (laughs) when you lost them? I don't know if I knew that. uh, Right? Hmm? Maybe we ought to go back to the last place before we lost it. Hmm? Can you spiritualize that for a second? Because if we'd be honest, in a room this large with as many people that we have in it this morning, there are some people here, you lost it. You lost it. You don't have the same intensity. You just don't have the same drive. You don't have the same enthusiasm. You don't have the same passion. You just don't have. You lost the wonder of it all. And maybe you just need to go back to when you had it last and figure out what it's been what it's, what it is that caused you to lose it. Hello. Because if you look at the destination, all that really matters is what we do to to secure that to be the best it can be. Amen, church? Identity. You know what they say identity is? I'm finished. The fact of being. Identity. The fact of being. Who or what a person is. That's your identity. Who or what a person is. And having said that, I would say this, whatever you identify with, you are usually, in the end, identified as. Right? If you want to soar above like an eagle, you've got to stop hanging around with turkeys down here. <laughs> Amen? Because whatever you identify with is what will one day identify you. James is speaking about true identity, and I believe our true identity ought to be no, no, nothing less than Christ-likeness. Don't you agree? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for allowing us to examine that, that brief text in the book of James, and I would pray that you'll help us, God, to figure out the fact that we're going to heaven one day, and we ought to live like it today. Whatever it takes, whatever we need to change, adjust, implement, remove, give us the wisdom to do so, we pray. And if there's someone here this morning who has yet to trust Christ as their personal Savior, we'd encourage them today to get it settled once and for all, right here, right now, today. Come, take a Bible and show them what they need to to do to be saved, to be brought into the family of God, become a child of God, to begin to enjoy the rich blessings from above. We pray in Jesus' name, and amen.
0: Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons, by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcasts or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you could give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.